1: Hey guys, welcome to the Patreon Q&A episode of the guiltiest Charge podcast. This is Tyler, and as always, Jason and Steven are with me. Jason, first off, how are you? And second off, can you tell me a little bit about that video you just added to the Patreon page?
2: I'm great, and uh, I guess the video is... So I went and did a breakdown on Jordan Love, QB out of Utah State, and uh, just addressed a lot of the the problems that... the the community seems to have the chargers community seems to have with Jordan love. And, um, and I felt a lot of it was just uh, kind of following what the common narrative is, whether it's right or wrong. And so I kind of wanted to address, what did I just say? I kind of wanted to address some of the concerns there about Jordan love. And one of the biggest ones was that he doesn't have a good processor. I addressed that in the video and, gave my opinion on why he does have a good processor and um the video just really goes through a little bit of everything his decision making processing uh his potential as a quarterback in the nfl uh why he's worth a sixth pick uh again what did i just say a, six, a sixth pick um but it just seems to be people believing he's not worth the sixth pick so trade back if you like jordan love you're going to find in the coming month like not the coming months cuz it's so close now god we are so close less than 20 days,
3: days. yep 18 wow. days away
2: so you're going to see in the in the next couple weeks why the NFL is higher on Jordan Love than the media is if you have a guy with potential like Jordan Love where everybody's talking about like every team is talking about, Oh, we could trade back to get this guy or trade back into the first to get this guy. When every single NFL team is doing that, you know that this prospect is higher sought after than the media leads you to believe. And so the video just goes through like, why, why is he worth this sixth pick? Why is, why are all these GMs talking about him as this top 10 guy? And, um, just a brief spoiler alert it's because he just makes throws that maybe five quarterbacks in the NFL can make maybe five. And it was time and time again, as I was going through these, these reps from him where he made a throw rolling to his left as a right handed quarterback and would just fit it into a tight window, 40 yards downfield where you're just like, that should not be possible. It shouldn't, it's not right. And you're talking about Aaron Rodgers can do it. Patrick Mahomes to do it what again patrick mahomes to do it patrick <laughs> mahomes can do it and then uh deshaun watson maybe like maybe and then you got russell wilson of course who can maybe get it uh probably we saw him do it last year with that insane throw to tyler lockett um and that's the kind of the thing like we saw that throw to tyler lockett and all of a sudden everybody was ready oh russell wilson is qb1 in the league and it's over patrick mahomes even jordan love has made that throw so how can you say that he's not worth the 6th pick? You know, and that's kind of the thing I'm trying to point out to people here is if you're ready to label a guy like Russell Wilson as QB1 over Patrick Mahomes because of one throw, then how is Jordan Love not a top 5 quarterback like top 5 pick in this draft? So just the kind of things I'm pointing out in this in this in this video. So if you want to check it out, it's uh available to our $5 tier and up and it may or may not be available to the public later on as well. Yeah. So I was just going
3: to say, just going to add on to that. Um, it is an hour of work that Jason has put in. Well, more than that, but it's an hour long video. Um, and so if you haven't watched it yet, I've, I personally have about half an hour into it. Um, it really is a great breakdown of all the attributes that Jordan love has. So if you haven't watched it yet, um, definitely go check that out. It's a brilliant job by Jason scouting Jordan love there.
1: Like Jason said, that'll be available to everyone at the $5 tier or higher. I've also shared a link to our grades for the 2020 draft class to those at the $10 tier or higher. So when you're hearing this episode, you should be able to see our work in progress, big board, one for Jason and one for Steven, as well as grades for each position. Steven, I didn't ask you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Just happy to talk some football today. Absolutely. And you got the, you got the chance to talk to a couple people this week. Uh, would you like to tell us about the one you have today and the one for this Friday? Yeah. So, uh,
3: it was actually really spur of the moment I tweeted out a video of uh, Appalachian State running back Darrington Evans and uh, he saw the video and actually retweeted it and then followed me or followed the podcast account and so I just messaged him and I was like hey thanks for following Maybe we can get you on in the on the podcast sometime and he was like can you do it today and I was like yeah of course like let's go <laughs> um, so he's a guy uh, just a, a prospect that I really really like it and I think he probably ends up going a little earlier than what the Chargers are looking for because the running back position isn't a huge need for that team. Day two guy. Yeah, he. he, he when you watch him on tape, you see four, four speed right away. And um, that's something that I talked to him about, just like that speed and the production. He had 24 touchdowns his last year at Appalachian State. Ooh. And so, you know, coming out of that conference, I think, that conference has done a good job of building up their teams. And so the small school thing doesn't really apply to them anymore. And he talked about that. Um, I was just really impressed with his mentality as a quote unquote, small school prospect, because it wasn't there. Like he belongs and he knows he does belong. And if the charters did get him, I would be thrilled because he has game breaking speed and he'd be a great uh, addition to Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. Um, so whoever gets him, he's gonna have a great career, and he's definitely someone that I'm gonna be paying attention to uh for the next 10 years.
2: Yeah, he's just a really fluid back when you watch him, like, yeah, between his feet and his speed and switching gears. There's not a lot of players that can switch gears fluidly, and what I mean by that is where it's a noticeable okay, he's going like a jogging speed reading the play, and now he's exploding. No, he's yeah. very good at varying what speed he's going, and it messes up angles by those safeties. Like you'll see a safety have a good angle, and then he just—it's just like this smooth, gradual process to a faster speed, and then the safety's yeah. just like, oh, "I'll give up."
3: <laughs> and a lot of times, when you see a, like a really fast, a really twitchy running back, you'll see them kind of lacking in the patience department, where they just like they just want to hit that hole and just go hit a home run. But he's really patient; like he'll sit and wait and let the blocks develop. And then he has four four speed where he'll just go and knock that part, knock it out of the park. And his speed is just insane. But his patience is really good too.
1: And how about a little sneak preview of that one from Friday? So the other one
3: I did uh, over the weekend was actually with Chargers punter Ty Long. Um, and I, honestly, like it was just really cool to be able to, to pick the brain of a punter because you know s- specialists in general they're not someone that you hear a whole lot of like the kind of detailed work that they are putting in. So. Uh, I definitely learned a lot. I've never played punter or kicker or anything like that, so uh, just being able to learn from him and and discuss what exactly he's looking for in the thought process and training process of of being a, an NFL punter is. And we also talked a little bit about what he's doing to pass time during the coronavirus shutdown, and uh, I think he's going to have some funny answers for you guys to listen to.
2: I played punter for one game. Uh, it was not great, not great. So you
1: like the Tom Brady punt or whatever <laughs> uh, like that one time.
2: I played punter for two. Did you snaps. make it over the line? <laughs> oh yeah. I I mean they were they were solid punts, but there was I I don't think I've ever been that fearful in my life. I'm good. I'll never do it again.
1: I'm fine. Alright, well let's listen to that first one from Evans.
3: All right, Chargers fans, happy to be here today with you guys and happy to be joined by uh, Darrington Evans from Appalachian State. Who was the 2019 Sun Belt Offensive Player of the Year, and we're just thrilled to have him on here. How how you doing, Darrington?
4: I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
3: I'm good, thanks. Uh, first and foremost, how are you and your family dealing with uh, all this uh, pandemic of COVID-19? Oh
4: uh, yeah, you know everyone's trying to minimize you know as much activity outside the house as possible. Um, you know, just trying to keep everything sanitized and eliminate traffic in and out the house
3: yeah for sure um is this a is this affecting very much your training routine and approach as you make this transition from college to the NFL uh, a little
4: bit but not really um you know typical guys still be at school right now um finishing my last class which I am still but I would be training up there um now I'm just training from home back here in Florida so you know just different location same thing
3: Gotcha, that, that totally makes sense. Um, so, just kind of talk to our listeners about your experience at Appalachian State. I know it's still kind of considered a small school, but uh, your coaches have done a really fantastic job uh, building up that program. And I know you guys had games against North Carolina and South Carolina this year. Uh, so, if you could kind of just walk us through that experience you had at Appalachian State. Yeah,
4: uh, coming out probably be one of the best decisions i made. Um, especially at a young age coming out of high school. Um, you know, I'm a four-time Sunbelt Conference champion. I'm a four-time bowl champion, a uh, two-time Sunbelt Championship game MVP, and a uh, one-time New Orleans Bowl MVP. So, you know, it was a lot of success. I came into school at that 100% with bowl games and conference championships, and there's not too many people who can say that. Um, you know, it's, it's a great culture, family-oriented. Um, it's a player-led team to where, you know, the players take initiative to, of trying to, you know, handle situations or making sure that the standards met with the team. And um, I had my first my first head coach, Coach Scott Satterfield. He's now at Louisville. Um, he left two years ago. And then uh, our previous coach, um, the line Drink with he left and went to Missouri. So now we have Coach Sean Clark at App, who was there since I came in. He was offensive line coach.
3: Wow, so there's been a lot of mobility there. Uh, obviously, that speaks to the success that you're talking about. Um, you guys had a really special 2019. Uh, I think you guys won 14 games, right? Uh, I think 13-1. 13-1. We just had one off. Gotcha. So uh, you had an a ultra-productive, ultra-explosive uh, junior season. You rushed for over 1,000 yards as a sophomore with nine touchdowns, but then this year uh, you jumped to 24 touchdowns as a junior. What kind of uh, led to that increase in production, do you think, if you could pinpoint one thing or, or multiple things there?
4: Yeah, it's multiple things. Um, what people don't realize, you know, they just look at numbers on paper and they don't think about the situation and the scenario.
1: Yeah. So coming into
4: App my freshman year in 2016, I was, we still had the all-time leading rush rate App. He was still present. He was a starter. Then we had Jalen Moore behind him. Jalen Moore still plays with the Jets right now. And then we had two other backs, and then myself. I signed as an athlete, a receiver, and a running back. So initially, you know, we were kind of deep at running back to where I can go and play receiver to get on the field early. Um, And then once Marcus Cox left, Jalen Moore was running the show. Jalen Moore was running the show until um, my redshirt sophomore year, mid-season, he got hurt. And that's why I took over to starting role. So about five, six, seven games in, I wouldn't start. I really was not getting that many carries to where – after that, I ran for 1,200 yards in like six, seven games. But on paper, it looks as if it was a whole season when I really only had half a season to do that. And then you can see from there, those six, seven games, leading into my 2019 season, I just carried the same momentum to where potentially if I had a full season in 2018, who knows what the numbers would have been. Yeah. Just, you know, based on my situation, I had guys in front of me where I had to play my role, you know, just do what's best for my team at the time.
3: Yeah, for sure. I, you know that totally makes sense. You know, you just had to uh, do the best in the situation you're given. So um, you did play against uh, some good, some really good competition this past year. I mentioned the South Carolina and North Carolina games. Was there something that you kind of uh, took from those games that that you took going forward to finish the season in a, in a strong manner, the way that you did?
4: Um, um... I was not at all. Those games, actually, you know, we, we come into games like those expecting to win. We didn't look at it any differently. Um, you know, I would say the, the hardest game of the season would be playing Lafayette. We didn't Lafayette.
3: Oh, wow.
4: You know, games like North Carolina and South Carolina, is just all about matchups, you know. They're going to be a lot bigger than us in the trenches with our offensive defensive line, but at the same time, it's, it's about that edge. We have a certain edge of that to where we're going to be faster than them, but they might be bigger. We're going to try and be more explosive to where we can use our strengths in that area, you know, and have the advantage. Um, You know, just things like that. It's just, it's all about matchups.
3: Yeah, totally. And you mentioned that speed, and that was the first thing that I noticed watching your tape specifically. Uh, You just hit the hole hard, you hit the hole fast, and then you have that extra gear that people just can't catch you. So. Um, besides being a a vertical explosive speed guy, how would you describe your game to people who maybe haven't watched you yet?
4: I would say elusive and, you know, I kind of use my vision and my speed together to really help myself, you know, with making people miss to where if I see a hole, I can hit a hole, you know, I can kind of tempo into it to where I can go from slow to full speed on the stop of a dime or I can go from full speed once I break out to making a cut on the stop of a dime, you know, to where it makes it harder for tacklers to like gauge and try and you know get a form tackle on me because they don't know if I'm going to make a cut, they don't know if I'm going to speed up, they don't know if I'm going to try and slow play it. You know, just keeping the defense on their
3: heels. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then you did run a four-four-one at the combine, and I just kind of wanted to ask you about your experience there, uh, maybe with the drills, and maybe you could mention some some interviews that kind of stood out to you. What was your experience like there in Indianapolis? <laughs>
4: Uh, you know, going to Indianapolis for the combine is a dream come true. Um, being able to compete against the best guys in the country, um, all pursuing the same thing, uh, chasing our dreams. Uh, I feel like during the week, I more so help myself, um, with my draft stock, with the interviews versus even my on the field performance. Um, you know, just talking to teams during interviews and you know, picking their brain and then picking my brain and just talking football a lot of teams were like, wow, like, you should be a coach.
0: <laughs> That's I'm like, awesome. I'm thinking myself,
4: I'm just doing, yeah, to myself, I'm thinking I'm just doing, like, the basic stuff, just saying stuff. They're like, you really, like, understand football and know what you're talking about.
3: Very cool, very cool. Is there, um, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, follow him on Twitter, he mentioned that you have been talking to uh, a bunch of teams since the Combine. What's, the, what's that process been like for you?
4: I'm about to say it's been real busy. Um, I actually got to make it out and visit with the Titans before uh, the coronavirus outbreak. And yeah. then after that, all my visits and stuff got canceled and rescheduled, like FaceTime calls. So I've been really busy with FaceTime calls, picking up Skype calls, um, Zoom calls, Microsoft Teams, stuff like that. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's a blessing to have them, you know, but understanding that the situation with the coronavirus changing, that you just have to adapt.
3: Yeah, I mean that's that's just the world that we're living in. You know, I think everyone's world is just kind of flipped upside down, and uh, especially you guys. You know, you're going to have this really awesome moment in the draft and stuff like that. And it's just going to be something that uh, we've never really seen before. So, like you said, you just got to live and adapt. So, as far as your training goes, is there kind of one thing that you are working on specifically uh, that can help you make the jump to the NFL while you're training right now?
4: Uh, not exactly. Really just sharpening every area of the game, um, that I use. I'm trying to keep my strengths to my strengths while working on some of my areas that I feel I need to work on a little bit more. But, you know, just trying to be detailed with everything I do. That's that's the main thing I notice when preparing for preparing for the NFL. You have to be detailed with everything you do because everybody's watching, everybody's professional. It's like you can't get away with a lot of stuff that you would in college or high school.
1: Yeah.
3: For sure. Uh, yeah, I I have uh, full confidence that you're going to be able to succeed in the uh, in the NFL. It's been a pleasure watching your tape. Um, I did want to get you out on this one. If you could just maybe talk about, it doesn't necessarily have to be a teammate you played with at Appalachian State, but the best player uh, you've had the opportunity to play with.
4: Oh, let me think about that one. Best player I've ever played with. And you said Lifepod?
3: Yeah, it can be high school, it can be college, or even you know if you want to go back to middle school, that's that's totally cool too. Oh,
4: that's tough. i done been with a lot of great guys. Uh, man, let me think about that one.
3: You can mention a couple if you'd like. I it doesn't have to be one.
4: I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll mention a couple people. I'll say Dakota Dixon, um Cole Holcomb, Akeem Davis, Gamester. Jalen Moore for sure. And then Tay Hayes. Uh, those, are, those are all guys, you know, they kind of left the mark on me and stood out to me, and then you just want to work harder. And also Zach Thomas, of the current quarterback of that. You know, we kind of, we kind of like helped each other and built each other up to where we can learn from each other. And, you know, I must say, without him, I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I'm at and vice versa.
3: Very cool. I love hearing about those experiences and those relationships that you've uh, have built up over the over the years. So you mentioned Jalen Moore who's uh, with the Jets. Has, have you been able to pick his brain at all and, and uh, kind of get help get his thoughts uh, on this whole process as you transition to the next level? Oh
4: yeah, I talk to Jalen every week. Um, I was actually about to train with him um, after Pro Day before I got canceled. I was going to stay in North Carolina and train with him in Charlotte. Uh, but with the virus and stuff, you know, situations change. But at the same time, like we talk every day. Um, anytime I have a question I need to ask the tell him he's there for me, he keeps it real with me, lets me know certain things, um, you know, ins and outs about the game and then just kind of what to expect, just helping me out to where everything's not doing me. So I can kind of prepare for it.
3: Gotcha. Yeah. That's really cool to be able to have a mentor like that. I imagine, uh, So it's been a pleasure having you on, you know, even if you don't get drafted by the Chargers, which I hope you do. I'm a big fan of yours. uh, But either way, you know, we root for your success at the next level and uh, we wish you nothing but the best. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
1: All right. Now we'll move on to our main topic of today, which is are your Patreon Q&A questions. You can ask us questions and get your questions answered. Uh, either if you bump your tier pledge up to three dollars, or if you aren't a Patreon member yet, please consider signing up by following the link in our Twitter handles. Podt, ah. you're okay, you're good. Did you just headbutt your mic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm leaving this. If in. you'd like, to...
2: it's not getting cut out. It's staying. <laughs> <laughs> you were fine until I'm you so headbutt hungry, your
1: mic. dude. I'm so hungry. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Uh, yeah. If you'd like to get your question answered, please consider joining up. All right. The first one is from JD and JD writes, what are your thoughts on the continued construction of the new stadium despite a worker testing positive for COVID-19? Personally, I think they need to shut construction down and we just play at Dignity Health Sports Park for one more year or start mid-season. Guys, what do you think?
3: Yeah, this is a tough one. I think right now with one worker, they could still manage a few more weeks at least, but from an ethical standpoint, I think they really need to shut things down. Um, Governor Newsom recently actually said he's doubtful that there is football being played in California this year. So a lot of that is just really up in the air. As far as playing Chargers football this year, like play it at Digny Hill Sports Park, play it at the Rolls Bowl for all I care. Um, but I really think that a stadium probably needs to be delayed at this point.
1: I would love to see him just go back to Carson. I mean, obviously, I'm a season ticket holder. I've already paid money for this freaking season ticket, so I really want to see the new stadium. But at the same time, it's so nice going to the stadium in Carson, whatever you call it now, StubHub, Home Depot Center, Hill Sports (laughs) Park. Oh, my God. I loved going to that stadium, just showing up, walk to the game, park in the green lot, and leave, and back on the freeway in 10 minutes. I loved it. So, I mean, selfishly, yeah, I want them to stay open and continue construction, so I can get my opportunity to go to that new stadium. But, obviously, health of the world is more important. I'm staying out of this one. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, the next one then is from Riley, who asks, I'd like to hear from all three of you. What would you do as Telesco in the draft? Assume Miami takes Tua. Do you trade down with who? What What player do you target? Thanks, guys. Also
2: include that he said we're doing an awesome job. Thank you, Riley.
1: He says thanks, Riley. Yeah, Riley
2: named our podcast, so shout out to Riley. Yeah, great name. So my if I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna switch it up because everybody knows that I want Jordan Love. So I'm gonna switch it up here. And I'll trade down. And the player I would be targeting depends how far you trade down. I'm assuming they trade down to like nine, ten. And I mean, Jordan Love could still be available there. Uh, you're talking Justin Herbert might be available there. Um, I'm going to go with an offensive tackle. I'll say Andrew Thomas. I'll say Andrew Thomas at left tackle just to switch it up um, because I think that would be a really solid addition. And I think James Campen would work really well with Andrew Thomas because Andrew Thomas is such a smart player. Um, I think if you're talking about like from a football IQ and general awareness standpoint. Um, I think Andrew Thomas is the most aware left tackle in this class. Like, if, he, if there's a stunt, he's going to grab it. There's, It's not yeah. going to work against Andrew Thomas. So I really want to see Andrew Thomas care, paired with James Camp. And I think that's a very good matchup, like a very good match there. And so if they could trade down and get him and just further cement that offensive line, and then you're getting more picks by trading back too. So then you could trade back into the first if jordan love or justin herbert whoever it may be that they want is still available then you can you have enough ammo to trade back into the first four of them so i'll say andrew thomas at nine or ten
3: yeah so in this scenario uh with no Tua on the board uh i honestly would lean going towards an offensive tackle i i'm not thrilled with taking justin herbert or jordan love at six um you know you'll see in my rankings if you see them i have both of them down in the 20s overall on my big board Um, So just like from a pure talent standpoint, I would rather grab an elite talent at six. So Andrew Thomas, I I would be fine with that. Jodrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Mikai Becton, really any of the big four tackles I would be okay with. And I will point out that Tristan Wirfs actually has played on both left tackle and right tackle, so there's not really as as big of a concern as uh, flipping roles like Jodrick Wills, who I love, but Jodrick Wills hasn't really played left tackle very much. Um, but Jason mentioned trading down. I think that's probably the smart play. If you're going for a quarterback, you trade down to nine, or or maybe you could convince uh, Mike Mayock and John Gruden to trade up to six. Maybe you grab two first-round picks from the Raiders. Um, I think if you're going to trade down, the smart play is the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are pretty clearly uh, tanking for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields next year, so maybe you can kind of give them – the extra ammo next year that they would need to either trade up or, you know, kind of do what the Dolphins are doing and just stockpile a bunch of picks. Um, but at six with no Tua, I assume no akuda, no Simmons, I would take an offensive tackle there.
1: Yeah, sorry, Riley. I'm going to ditto the answer and just take an offensive tackle. Like Steven said, I was actually interesting. Using the two Raiders' first-round picks, if you give up the sixth pick and the 37th pick, it actually kind of matches up. I don't know if yeah. the Raiders would give up two firsts, to move to six, it'd be a freaking steal if Tua wasn't there and they got two first-round picks. But in terms of just the draft pick value, it kind of works out if you get both their first and give up your second and the six. So that'd be interesting. And at that point, maybe there's another offensive tackle that's there because if it's six and they're getting, I don't know, a Herbert or something. If I don't know who the Raiders would pick. Who would the Raiders pick? A quarterback, I, mean, I guess? They'd be they they connected like to quarterback or receiver the
3: most. So maybe yeah. they go, go up to six and get Herbert. Or Jerry Judy, for
2: example.
3: Yeah. Do yeah. you really Judy. think
1: they it for Judy from 12 to 6? I think Jerry or,
0: Judy
2: would be available at 12. I don't right. know that he would be. A, um, depends on these teams, man. You just They throw curveball every time. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> yeah.
3: took they took Cleveland Farrell at 5 last year, and I thought he was going to be available at twenty. Oh, so. they'll take <laughs> Derek Brown. <laughs> yeah, they'll take Derek Brown, yeah.
2: <laughs> or Kenlaw. Uh, Who? Or Kenlaw, Javon Kenlaw. Yeah, mm.
3: that actually would. Again, I have both Derek Brown and Kinlott rated really highly, so, I mean, that would make sense for them. They do need a defensive tackle, so...
1: Yeah, all right. The next one is from Josh, who says, it's kind of similar question, but Simmons, Tua, Okuda, all gone, and the Chargers are on the clock at 6. Besides selecting Jordan Love, what do you do? I think we kind of answered this, and yeah. I think this question we're not able to trade, so, I don't know, throw out another... Okay, let me, let me change the question a little bit then. Sorry, Josh. Other than... Other than wide receiver, and assuming those guys are gone, assuming no love, no Herbert, and then not an offensive tackle, what's a crazy curveball the Chargers could pull off here, Judy? Like, who would they over? Yeah, I was going to. No, s- no wide receiver either. No wide, no receiver? wide
2: receiver.
1: Would Ooh. they go crazy for like a
2: Patrick Queen or something nuts? No, I don't think. Pa- I don't think Patrick Queen.
3: I think uh, Murray's better than Queen.
2: Okay. I think. And they seem to be doing their, their homework on a lot of these mid-round guys like Logan Wilson, and I think mm-hmm. they, they had a player that they just met with like today or yesterday, right? That was another linebacker. Um, I'm mad that I don't remember the name or have it able to pull up, but, man, this is that makes it tough. No receiver either. I was going like, to say Judy.
3: Well, I guess the curveball there would be Derek Brown or Javon Kinglaw, just similar for the Raiders mm-hmm. because – you're not, no offensive tackle, no quarterback, no receiver. And you take the best player available and that's Derek Brown or Jaylon Kinlaw.
2: I wouldn't like that. I would hate that. Yeah. I mean, obviously I would be excited for Derek Brown or Kinlaw because I mean, they're great players, but I mean, you just took Tillery the year before and now you have Linval Joseph who is 31. So, um, and the, and they actually are kind of hurting in D tackle right now. Like the, well, how many do they have on the roster right now? Three with Justin Jones,
1: four with
3: them. oh Broughton, Broughton yeah. as well. Because Square is still so not resigned.
2: I actually really like our D tackle room. Um, I kind of want to say a corner, but I don't mm. like any other the other corners when you talking when you're talking about Okuda. Maybe C J Henderson at six though. Ooh, this is dangerous territory. You have kind of <laughs> taken away all the positions that are worth like offensive tackle right. and quarterback.
3: And I mean, maybe cause maybe you Caleb on chase on, I mean, that would be like the next most valuable position from an edge standpoint, but chase on at six is that's dangerous.
2: <laughs> maybe like maybe Xavier McKinney. No, it's a safety and they're not going to take a safety that early. I'm just trying to think of like who I would take, where like in the top 15 in general. And, uh, I guess I'm going to have to say Derek Brown Just, yeah. or, or Patrick Queen, like you said. Patrick Queen at, at six. That actually wouldn't make me mad. I, I am surprisingly okay with that.
1: Uh-huh. All right. Well, the next one is from Alex, and he asks, What do you make of the difference between NFL GMs and NFL media members when it comes to Tua? Are you more pro Tua or hesitant, and why?
2: So there was, there was a little talk a week ago or so about how NFL GMs differ from NFL media because if a player is off, often injured over the last two years, I think it was maybe Matt Miller who said this, I could be wrong, um, where you're talking about players that have been injured a lot over the last two years, NFL teams tend to be a lot lower on them, and I think that tweet was directly related to Tua. Um, mm-hmm. But... It's just NFL teams, like Anthony Lynn said the other day, they have their ways to find out if a player is healthy or not. They have their ways of, you yeah. know, going and seeing, is this player good to go rather than just going and meeting them? Like you don't have to go touch their knee to see if they're okay. They don't have or like <laughs> touch. Like Tom Telesco's not going to want to go touch Tua's hips to make sure. He's not going to want to see Tua's salsa, right? They have their ways to, to see these guys are healthy. And um, Stephen Steven is a little uncomfortable now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just the way they – how do they defer on Tua? I mean, it has to be injuries. That's like the only way that they could defer because the talent is there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I could see NFL teams being higher on Tua actually, like to the point where maybe even the Bengals are considering him. Because they have more information? One, they have more information. And two, I mean, he played at Alabama, and Alabama yeah. players tend to be a little more sought after. Like, maybe that's a lazy answer, but that's just, that's all I can think of. I don't think there's a huge difference other than maybe two is higher on their boards than people think.
3: Yeah, this is a, this is kind of a loaded question because, I mean, really, we don't know what GMs are thinking right now. Like, there's that report that um, the Bleacher Report guy sent out that um, the Dolphins are higher on Justin Herbert than Tua. And I'm like, they, they could be. That's totally possible. But we don't know that. Like, that could just be a smoke screen that they're sending out. So, you know, we've seen with Tom Telesco firsthand how close these GMs uh, keep things to the chest. So we really don't know. As far as the media goes, the media loves Tua. Um, you know, I think the media has done a, a really good job analyzing the quarterback uh, battles this year. I mean, there's really nothing else to talk about. Um, but I think a lot of the media are really high on Tua. I think um, there aren't many that are low on him. I think I've, the lowest I've seen him is like QB4. Um, so it just really depends on what the Chargers value if they're worried about the injury risk or if they're worried about. Uh, Jordan loves interceptions and decision-making or if they're worried about Justin Herbert being safe, like it really like the three quarterbacks they're they're potentially choosing from are three different directions that like, you could go in. So uh, it's just going to depend what they are valuing and how they're assessing the risk of each player.
2: So there's, there's a, another part of this question too. Um, are you more pro to a or hesitant to him and why now Tyler, what's what's your take on it? Are you more pro to a? Or are you hesitant to him because of those injuries? Is like, it asking does,
1: if I'm more pro than media members, or if, am I just in general more pro to a?
2: In general, I think more pro oh, okay. as a as opposed to more hesitant. Like do, no, do I'm those pro injuries? At this point. Like,
1: no, not at all. I mean, well, okay. First of all, I have no medical. I can't speak much on any of that. So, it's it's mostly just information by diffusion from other people saying things and what you kind of see scattered around. So. As far as I can tell, he's healthy. I think it was, was it Chow that said, yeah, he has an injury history, but he's not like a risk? I don't remember if that was him. Anyway, if the injuries are like fine and he's just going to be at risk more because he's just, he'd run, he'll run the football and get hurt rather than him re aggravating an injury that he's had before. I mean, I'm pro Tua. Like, he's my second rated quarterback, so I'm, I'm pro Tua. And the injuries, I mean, yeah, you don't want to see this guy blow out his hip. But yeah, you know, all signs seem he seems to be okay. Yeah, he seems to not be a huge injury risk moving forward. So I'm I'm good for him at six. Yeah, everything's
3: everything's trending upwards for him as far as his health concerns. And then my view, I'm more worried about his ankle injuries than his hip injury because I I think I think the ankle injuries they have happened more Mm -hmm. often. And even there was a time last year, uh, or maybe the year before that, when he hurt his ankle and he didn't miss any games, but he was just playing through the pain. So Mm, I'm more worried about the ankle injury. The the hip injury, he seems to be recovering fine from that. Um, He's had all good signs come out. It's just, it was such a freak injury. And he also got a concussion and broke his nose at the same time. So like, yes, I'm worried about his injury history, but I'm more worried about his ankles than his hip. And for me, every player comes into the NFL with risk of being injured. It's just the nature of the game at this point. And Justin Herbert also has injury history. And I learned on Daniel Jeremiah's podcast that he actually broke his femur in high school. So Justin Herbert also hmm. has an injury history. It's just his injuries happened a long time ago and two has happened so recently. I don't know about Jordan Love. I don't think he has an injury history. But, you know, for the most part, people can come into the league and they just happen to get injured. Like Brian Balaga didn't have any injury history at Iowa. and He's had a pretty lengthy history injury history in Green Bay. So. You just never really know. For me, I'm just looking at the upside and the talent and the potential that the Chargers would have of taking Tua and pairing him with Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry. And so I'm yes, I'm worried about the injuries, but I'm also more of a glass half full kind of guy in this situation and looking at the potential and the upside.
2: Well it's like it's like if somebody asked me, Are you worried that Keenan Allen is gonna lacerate his kidney again? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Right. <I'm> not necessarily. <laughs> um but there are other injuries in his career that can concern you but i mean over the past over the past three years he has not even missed a game so which is awesome by the way
3: yeah for the most part he's played through his ankle injuries it's just that they happen a lot
2: right and so it doesn't really concern me with even the ankle injuries while they concern me more he played through them so that just speaks to his toughness and as mm. long as something awful doesn't happen to him, he's going to play through it. And I even think Tua is one of those guys where, you know, if he's in the playoffs and he tears an ACL, he plays through it. I just think Tua is one of those, one yeah. of those guys. Um, whether or not the team lets him is another story. But he's just a really tough dude. And so there's no questions for me there. Um, I think I spoke, to about, spoke about this last week where I said, the reason I'm not as high on Tua it has nothing to do with injuries. It's just I'm not very high on this quarterback class at all. Um, there's one guy that has elite potential for me and that's Jordan Love. That's why I'm okay with taking him in the top, in the top areas, but I'm okay with taking Tua. I just, the reason I'm hesitant about him is not because of injuries. It's just because of his play. So, um, at the end of the day, man, I'm, I'm pretty pro Tua, but I,
1: the injuries have nothing to do with it at all. All right, let's pivot to a different kind of question. This one's from Chris, who asks, I want to hear all three of your predictions for what our new home, away, and alternative uniforms will be. I mean, they're at least doing some combination of powder blue and sunshine gold. Do you really think they're going to have sunshine gold pants?
2: God, no, I hope not. (laughs) Maybe I'm in the minority here. I hate
1: the yellow Uh, gold pants. I I like it as a throwback. I just don't know if I like it. Yeah. 16 games a year yeah <laughs> they just a,
3: as far as like the away like they could do a little bit more there and just kind of highlight mm-hmm. it and then maybe you do like an all-white look and just kind of throw in some maybe you do like a the old classic bolt down the sideline in sunshine gold or something for example yeah but i i'm generally speaking i'm anti-yellow as a principal color on a uniform mm-hmm. and just think it's really hard to it's just an eyesore Like you look at Oregon's Mm -hmm. jerseys, whenever Oregon wears an all yellow pan or all yellow jersey, it's just ugly to me. Um, So I'm hoping that the home jersey is maybe like a powder blue and the white pants again and then the away is all white.
2: I mean, Green Bay pulls it off, but Green Bay is also green. So, I mean, green goes with yellow a little bit more. Powder blue, Mm -hmm. I just don't. I don't see it. I don't see powder blue jerseys with yellow pants that just does not for me fit for me now if you're talking about away uniforms like maybe yellow pants with the away uniforms and you have like a white jersey with yeah like some powder blue and gold mixed into it like okay i just and from a concept art standpoint sure the gold pants look cool with the powder blue because you can make it look nice and perfect but I, the second I've seen teams like youth football teams where that have these kind of like high school football teams that have these kind of mixed colors. Like they have, you know, yellow pants or red pants. And you're just like, stop, just stop. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. And um, who knows? Maybe it looks good. I trust I trust the opinions of like Benjamin Albright and Peter Schrager, who have both said that they're amazing looking. So yeah. whatever concept they come out with, I, I'm I'm pretty confident that it's going to look real nice so whether or not it's any of those combinations i'm I'm pretty confident
3: yeah and i wouldn't expect anything like too out there because i mean they had a chance to really swing for the fences with his rebrand and i mean they made it a little flatter and changed the color a little bit so i mean they know that they are not going to mess with it too much like the rams are doing um so i I, I trust them to to just make some moderate changes. You know, they already went last year and said that the powder blue was going to be the primary uniform. So, you know, I trust this, this, uh, organization to make the right move as far as style points go.
1: They definitely can't go back to like that early Tomlinson, like Navy color. Cause that's, that's just San Diego, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think they're trying to get more,
1: uh, more, LA.
2: more, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see. Are they still doing color rush? Is that a thing?
3: I hope no. so. I hope they do it once or twice a year, but I love the color rush jerseys.
2: I thought he meant like the color rush games, like Thursday Night Football. Um, I hope they I hope they do, because I love the royal blue. I think that... Yeah, me m- too. I think that I like that even more than the powder blue. I love yeah. the royal blue uniforms. I mean, As a full
1: uniform, I love it.
3: Yeah, I mean, most, most teams have at least two or three or four games a year where they don't do the primary away or home colors, so... Uh, I hope that they keep the color rush around the, the Royal blue, all Royal blue look is just so, so clean.
2: I yeah, remember that's... when that was announced, everybody was like really skeptical for the color rush and like, yeah, the Brown's coming out with their all Brown and like, everybody's <laughs> like, what the heck is going on? And then the chargers, like everybody was really just like, oh, this doesn't look good. And then the chargers released theirs and everybody was just kind of like, Oh, this could work. Like yeah. this looks good. Like you compare it like to the Jets all green and Denver's all orange and Cleveland's all brown. Mm-hmm. There was some ugly stuff out there, and the Chargers, uh, I think they hit it out of the park with those ones. So yeah. I'd like to see them stay.
3: Yeah, for the most part, the color rush ones when they're good, they're really good. Like the Ravens all black is really cool. The Bengals all white is actually really cool, and then the Saints all white is awesome.
1: Yeah, it is. I I love that color rush one, but I think it was the I think the first game they had it was against the Broncos on Thursday night football in Qualcomm. And that's the game that Jatavis Brown just went off. And I think Joey Bosa, too. They just yeah. were, like, crushing. Yep. Oh, who was the quarterback? I don't know. Whoever was the Broncos quarterback at the time. It was great. That, so I have, I have fond memories of that one. I think Wasn't I it Simeon?
2: It,
3: yeah, Trevor Simeon, I think.
1: I think it was. There you go. I can't keep track. <laughs> All right, the next one is from Anthony, who says, It keeps coming up to me that there is absolutely going to be a mid-first-round talent available for the Chargers in the second round, Due to other teams reaching for a need, if they get a quarterback at six, who would be your dream guy in the second round?
3: Well, I know who Jason's is gonna be. Uh, <laughs> he argued for it in the mock draft. At least, I think that's yeah. what He would say. Um, but something that I've just been really, really uh, thinking about recently is Patrick Queen. I think there's mm. some been some significant buzz about him potentially falling to the second round just uh, because of the linebacker position. I think Kenneth Murray maybe, but I think. Uh, media and team members really value Kenneth Murray more than Patrick Queen. So if the Chargers could get Patrick Queen at 37, I would be absolutely stoked. I think he fills fills in beautifully at the linebacker position. Um, He's exactly what the Chargers are looking for in terms of speed and coverage and downhill tackling ability. And he would just be a huge upgrade at the linebacker position
1: for me.
2: My dream guy if they get – so if they get their QB at 6, my dream guy to get – cj henderson whoa, cj henderson out of florida i would love that um i know he's not a great tackler by any means but you're talking about building one of the best secondaries ever and add cj henderson to chris harris and casey hayward derwin james uh elite safety and then desmond (laughs) king roaming around And you've got yourself an insane secondary. So I would say, I'd say CJ Henderson. I would love that.
1: I definitely thought you were going Denzel Mims. I'm glad you changed it up. So did I. But like you said, like Steven, if Patrick Queen was there, that's such a Telesco pick in the second round, a draft faller, a defensive player, a linebacker, Yeah. and they need linebacker. And I think Daniel Popper said that they could even take linebacker earlier than most of us expect. It would be just – it was such a Tolesco pick. So I can well, yeah, definitely totally see them doing that. Well, yeah, because White's dead. So they can <laughs> go <linebacker.
2: laughs>
3: Yeah. And I, I love this offensive line class. And, like, Austin Jackson and Ezra Cleveland I think would be great second-round picks. Um, I just think we're going to see him run on offensive tackles early in the first and then, like, in the 20s, I think another offensive lineman run is going to happen. Um, and, honestly, I think Patrick Queen's ceiling is higher than Austin Jackson or Ezra Cleveland's ceiling. Like, Patrick Queen, I think, is going to be an all-pro linebacker. Um, And I Mm -hmm. really like Ezra Cleveland and Austin Jackson, but just talent-wise and ceiling-wise, Patrick Queen would be a dream. And so would Denzel Mims and and C.J. Henderson. Oh, yeah. I don't love C.J. Henderson, Mm -hmm. um, mostly because Jason mentioned the tackling issues. But cover-wise, I think he's probably the second or third best cover corner in the class behind Okuda. So I would be thrilled. if, If Henderson's there in round two, absolutely set me up.
2: Now, I will say that Denzel Mims pairing him up with this receiving core is definitely a dream. So tempting. But if you're talking about a a bigger position of need, then I'd say C.J. Henderson or Patrick Queen are more pressing than a wide receiver three because, I mean, you can expect – I don't know if if Devin DuVernay would be there in the third round, but we've talked about how we would even consider him at 37. I would draft him at 37. So, I mean, you could find your wide right receiver three later, but dream dream scenario wise,
1: uh, definitely
2: C.J. Henderson or Patrick Queen.
1: All right, our last question is from Grant, who just got this question in the last minute. Who asks, "How do you think?" This is a long one. Sorry. How do you think Tom Telesco has addressed the O line during his tenure as the Chargers' GM? I honestly think Tom Telesco has received a bad rap regarding his lack of moves towards offensive line. He has invested a plethora of picks in the draft on O or what does it say? On O-line, such as Fluker, Lamp, Feeney, Turk, Pipkins, Feeney, no, etc. sorry. Feeney and Lamp were seen as top prospects at the time. He has invested in free agents such as Slosson, Okung, and Barksdale, Franklin and more. A lot of these signings have been serviceable, and Orlando Franklin was considered one of the best free agent linemen of 2015. I believe our O-line has just been derailed by injuries and some investments just not panning out. What are your honest opinions? Steven, start us off.
3: So this is a a great question and a great point. Uh, I've kind of been standing on this hill for a while. People need to understand that drafting players is Tom Telesco's duty and signing players is Tom Telesco's duty. But developing those players is exclusively the role of the coaching staff. So yeah, Orlando Franklin didn't pan out, but like this question says. At the time, he was considered one of the best free agent linemen available. So, of course, you sign him, and then it just didn't pan out. And Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp, like, those were considered steals of the draft. Like, no one thought that Forrest Lamp was going to be there in the second round, and the Chargers got him anyway. Now, obviously, one of those two could still pan out. They're still young. They're still learning. But, I mean, he did what he was supposed to do as a general manager. He knew offensive line was a weakness for that team, and he took two in back-to-back rounds. Like, I don't know what else you wanted him to do. And then Jason's kind of stood on the hill of Trey Pipkins. Trey Pipkins, sure, he was a 3rd round pick, and sure, he was a Sioux Falls guy, but he was the best tackle available at that point. You see some upside. I thought he played very well against the Chiefs and against the Raiders in his two starts. He has shown some signs to do. He knew that tackle was a weakness, but you have Russell Okung, and so maybe it's not a huge weakness. So you take a developmental guy, and you hope that he pans out. And I think that was a great pick. And again, with the free agency guys, you know, you draft, you signed Slauson and Slauson started for a year or two and then you draft Feeney and lamp. So you're like, okay, we don't need Slauson anymore. And it's just, he's invested a bunch in the offensive line. That's his job. He's done that. It's just like the question says, like people got injured. The development hasn't been there. Like Max Turk, I don't think really, that was as a slam dunk pick at the time. It's just, he never got on the field because he was behind other guys uh and this one doesn't even mention mike pouncey who he also invested in um so i think as far as a as a capital standpoint tom telesco knows that you need to invest in the offensive line we saw it again this year with brian vloga he's done his job it's just that injuries and the development hasn't happened
2: yeah i mean turk turk max turk is that how you say his name twerk Turk, turk i just say turk to avoid the twerk twerk (laughs) um max turk people loved that pick he was a very mobile center he got to the second level so easy i remember watching his tape and it's like he'd get to the second level so well and that was his key that was his key thing was mobility and i think he had a he was like projected as borderline first round pick at center and then he got injured i believe and that mm-hmm. caused him to fall to the third round. And so it was kind of like Keenan Allen territory where it was like this first round talent fell to the third round. Telesco's like, eh, the, the upside is huge. So I'll take him. And it just didn't work. And that, yeah. at that point with him, you can't blame Telesco for that. I mean, you're going and getting an upside player and it just didn't work out. You miss sometimes. Um, now where you start to wonder a little bit with the line is like when he went like Chris Watt, like that was not, yeah. not great. That was not good. Um, and then, I mean, with Forrest Lamp, um, I actually think Dan Feeney was a success. I don't mind Dan Feeney at all. I mean, yeah, he's, third round pick. He's a serviceable starter. He's fine. Um, yeah. Had a great rookie year, too. But then um, with Lamp, he's just not healthy. And, I mean, every time he's touched to the field, he looks really good. It's just he's not healthy. He's, yeah. And that's not really Telesco's fault because Lamp did not have an injury history in college. Uh, from my knowledge, and, um, you know, I think the, I think with James Camp in here, and you're going to see Trey Pipkins develop a lot, you're going to see if Forrest Lamp stays healthy, he's going to develop a lot, Dan Feeney is going to develop a lot, Uh, he, you also got to remember he drafted Questenberry, and Questenberry looked fantastic, and if you're talking about Questenberry being a backup, you've got a loaded uh, interior line group there, and so, I mean, I think the, crappy part here is I think he's actually built a really strong interior O-line but that interior O-line can't look good if your tackles are not even replacement level guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pipkins wasn't ready but you saw the development there. The big problem was Tevi and Scott and yeah. it was just you can't have Feeney. You can't really hate on Feeney for for struggling so much when his left tackle all the year was like it was like a carousel man it was he he couldn't really get stability there like i believe chris hairston talked about us uh talked about this with us a while back yeah where you need to understand the person next to you you need to understand their tendencies you need to pick up stunts with them uh you just need to know them and if you're going between trent scott and Trey Pipkins and Russell Okung throughout the year, it's just that's not going to fly. And so I can't really – I can't diss Dan Feeney for struggling this year. I can't – and I can't diss our Michael Schofield. I was going to struggle to find his name for a second. I can't diss him either because he actually put up a, a solid year. It wasn't good, yeah, but it was solid. He did. It's um did. true. Despite Tevi and Scott being the two rotating there. And um, which is even worse than what was going on on the left side between Okung and Pipkins. So I mean, it's just—I don't think it was fair for fans to kind of hate Telesco so much last year. Um, And then now they're on his side again because he got Balaga. But (laughs) we'll ignore that for a minute, Um, because he just—you can't predict what happened to Okung when you're drafting. You can't do that. I mean, yeah. I don't think it was April when Okung was out, right? I mean, wasn't that a month later? It wasn't, when Okung it wasn't until
3: was out? June that we knew that he was going to miss games.
2: Right. And so, I mean, I thought he did fine. Go get your project. You're assuming that Okung is starting, and then you have Trey Pipkins learning behind him. That would have been a really good scenario. The only problem there is Tevi on the right side. But, I mean, the year before that, sure, Tevi was a weak, like a weak point of the offensive line, but what offensive line does not have a weak point? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, every offensive line has a weak point to some extent. There's always going to be a weak, a weaker link there. Whether or not it's a heavy kind of weak link is a whole other story. But each line does have their weaknesses. And I think, I think Telesco did a good job of that year of just finding a good developmental guy and Trey Pipkins and building up basically trusting your staff to build him up and develop him into what he is now, which I mean, in the last part of that season, Trey Pipkins looked, I thought he looked great. I thought he looked Mm-mm. far and away better than that. I don't know if you guys remembered his preseason, but good Lord. That <laughs> yeah, was, geez, bad. That, was so bad. that was, I was wondering, like He's I was questioning everything. Um, yeah. When Trey Pipkins was there at left tackle in the preseason and just, <laughs> to see him go from that to that Raiders game where he only gave up two pressures and that was it I was like okay all right they, they they did something right with Pipkins they found somebody they found a gym that they can rough out and figure out what he's got and honestly if they took if they just took one lineman in this draft as like a depth guy late I'd be okay I mean I would be ecstatic if they got a guy early but if they just yeah. took a depth guy late I would be like eh, they, they believe in Pipkins and that's an okay thing
3: yeah, I think you probably want to add at least one guy this this draft again. But Telesco has shown that he he knows that offensive line is a key position, and he either drafts two or he drafts one and he signs one. like He knows that he has to invest in the offensive line, and that's his job as general manager. I just think people unfairly criticize Telesco when these guys don't develop or they're injured all the time when really he has nothing to do with the development. It's his job to get the players on the team, and he's done that. He's invested almost more than anyone. In the league, when it comes to offensive line and their talent, it's just they haven't worked out or they get injured. When he signed Joe Barso, I thought Joe Barso's first year as a starter was really good, and then he got hurt great. and was replaced yeah. by Tevi, and then I thought Tevi played okay. Then he got hurt and then was replaced by Trent Scott, and then so it's just the injuries and the replacement and the lack of development. But Telesco gets the guys on the field, and that's his job.
1: He's, in my opinion, I agree with almost. Every, other than um, Chris Watt. I agree with most every decision he makes in the draft. Even the Fluker pick, which everyone could say is a reach, he, like, he walked into the building and had to protect Phillip Rivers. He had to do something. So even though it was a reach, yeah. I kind of get it. Forrest Lamp's a steal. Dan Feeney was like, oh, my God, in the third round, that's great. Back-to-back, that's awesome. You know, But then he's unlucky. He takes Donovan Clark in the seventh round, and he apparently was like almost competing for a starting guard job, and then he hurt, kind of hurt somehow. Yeah, You know, it's just unlucky. Turk, like you said, draft faller, supposedly one of the best centers in the draft, didn't pan out. You know, how can he predict Lamp tearing his something every year? Um, and then in free agency, I think he's, until Bosa gets signed, I think he's probably invested the most money in offensive linemen, which kind of makes sense because there's, you know, five plus depth. But I, I'm pretty sure he's invested the most money in there. You know, he picks up guys like Slosson, picks up guys like Pouncy. Uh, who else? Oh, King Dunlap. Trashed a treasure, practically. They plucked him from the Eagles. Yeah. This guy turns into one of the best left tackles in the NFL top 10 or something like that, got his extension, and then concussions keep him out of football. So it's just it's just really unlucky, but, I mean, we'll see. Now he doesn't really have an excuse, I don't think, about development because you know James Campen can do his job. But if he if Campen does his job and they end up with, you know, they don't have to take alignment in this draft. They end up with Pipkins on the left doing great developing. Questenberry at center. He's made the moves on the right guard and right tackle spot. And maybe Feeney and Lamp get it together. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of hope in left guard. I mean, it's fine, but whatever. Um, I guess the only real knock for me, and I think why fans are maybe more down as well, Telesco's never really had that Joe Thomas guy Who's been with the franchise for like ten something years? Yeah. Every problem he fixes, he just kind of plugs the hole and does a good job. But then another hole always opens up. Yeah. You know, none of these guys really pan out for like ten years. You know, Fluker maybe was going to be that guy, didn't work out. Slosson, Okung's gone. Pouncy, we have no idea. And again, that's another unlucky, unfortunate thing. He might have a you know, career-ending injury. So, if he can start finding those guys like Pipkins, like Kuechenberg, who can you can keep around for years and years and years and years. He might do okay. And the last thing I want to point out is that I think it was Chris Harrison who said, basically, if you're not a good offensive line, like a great dominant offensive line, you kind of just look like you suck. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if if the Chargers can at least, I mean, I don't know, give them a little bit of a break. But also, I'm really curious to see how this offensive line looks when Phillip Rivers isn't there. Because on the one hand, he makes them look great by making smart decisions. On the other hand, he's not moving anywhere. So... I don't know. I'm really curious to see what they look like this year. Yeah. Any more thoughts, guys?
3: Well, and also about DJ Fluker, you know, he's switched to guard, and he's making a really solid career up in Seattle. So I think yeah. You know, sometimes you just get guys wrong, and sometimes they should be playing guard when you played them at tackle. So that happens. Um, Lamp. Yeah, I think <laughs> Lamp probably should be playing tackle right now instead of guard, but that's another thing. Um, but ultimately, like, like Tyler is saying here, with Tyrod Taylor – Tyrell Taylor does take sacks a little bit longer because he holds the ball. But even then, Mm -hmm. you see his escapability, and he's never had this kind of offensive line. Like He's never played with a Brian Balaga or a Trey Turner. So I think ultimately this team ends up giving probably around 35 sacks, which is a little bit of an improvement. I think last year, what, they gave up like 45? So if they can keep that number below 40, I think that's a win. And from a talent perspective, this offensive line should be much improved just because of Trey Turner and Brian Belaga. Even if they have Pipkins and Feeney at left left tackle, left guard, you have Pouncy or Crescentberry at center, and then you have a Pro Bowl right guard and Pro Bowl right tackle, and that's a big step up.
2: If you're talking, if you're talking about which team gave up like the most sacks, I don't even think the Chargers were up there that high, right? I think it was mainly like pressure where the Chargers yes, were killed, yeah. And because I mean Arizona's offensive line was way worse from what I remember, right? Like it was, it was really bad, and then Miami's as well. weren't they giving up like almost four sacks a game in Miami?
3: Miami, Carolina, yeah, Arizona—all of their offensive line—and the, those three were probably the worst that I watched all year.
1: So I mean, yeah, if you want to see what a bad offensive line looks like, just go watch Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that was too. horrible.
2: That
1: was a bad time. Like that's a bad offensive line. The Chargers were kind of unlucky, but they're not that bad—not yeah, 13 and... sacks in two games, bad or whatever it is. All right, that's it for our Patreon Q&A. Thank you guys for sending in your questions. Uh, We've got a couple episodes left until our big draft day, live coverage of the first round. Uh, Pretty excited. We're hosting it on Zoom, opening up an hour early to give our thoughts. Then we'll kind of throw it back to you guys, discuss what's going on, and then maybe we'll just be discussing the first six picks, if the Chargers pick at six still. Uh, And then we'll open things back up to you guys uh, so we can chat face-to-face or you can send in a question the chat feature or whatever i don't know steven's the expert uh before we sign off steven and jason where can we find you guys on social media
3: so steven i have is my personal twitter and then gac podcast is the podcast account um we're tweeting out mock draft brackets as well uh so make sure you keep an eye out for that uh the final round should be launching uh the day that this comes out so make sure you re- make sure you get out and vote for that
2: at Centauri13 on Twitter, at GAC Podcast 17 on Instagram, hashtag love at six. And also don't forget to check out my Jordan Love breakdown over on the Patreon, $5 tier or higher. And I'm really excited for this draft, guys.
1: <laughs> at least give Jason the chance to explain himself and watch that video. Before you trash him for his opinion, give the video a watch. I have not watched it yet. Sorry, Jason. Shame. Um, yeah, you know. Out of curiosity, do you think, and I just watched Jacob Eason, do you think Jacob Eason is kind of more the guy that everyone thinks Jordan Love is? Yes. Or like, oh, he's just because yes. like, I watched him, I'm like, that seems more like the guy that everyone thinks, the, the people that don't like Jordan Love think he is, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree Yeah, with that's down.
2: spot on, because I think Jacob Eason does have a lot of trouble with processing, and he does have mm-hmm. some trouble with anticipation, and but he does have that rocket arm and he shows the potential um so when you talk about like what people think Jordan Love is that's spot on Tyler is Jacob Eason when I watch Jacob Eason I'm like man if if he had it together upstairs he would be a really good prospect um but is what it is I hope I hope people watch the breakdown and learn a little bit more about Jordan Love and understand why I think he's worth the sixth pick
1: All right, this is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Schoon on Twitter or at Guilty As podcast on Facebook. Uh, Getting close to the drafts. We're excited and we'll see you guys on Friday.